Well, the title of my message is 2019. You have not passed this way before. Brian mentioned it, and it was perfect lead-in for me because a lot of us, you know on God's timeline of eternity, I do not believe they're marked off in years, months, weeks. We do know something about days, however. Do you imagine at the end of 2018, God in heaven is going, finally, I can do what I want to do in 2019? I don't think so. I don't think so. Do you think in our own lives there's like a magic switch that's going to go off on January 1 that changes everything and causes us to be all that we want to be and all that we know we can be? I don't think so. I think it's something that is in each of us as human beings. We look forward to fresh starts, new beginnings. So I'm not sure where all the hoopla about New Year's Day comes from, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing at all. And it is a good thing to look back so that we can see what took place, see where we were at, see what we did, and not make those mistakes again. And as we look forward into 2019, or whatever time frame you want, I hope we do have goals. Um, If you have resolutions, that's fine. I kind of quit doing that because I never kept any. But I do have goals. And I hope one of your goals is the same as everybody else's goal in this room. And that's to draw closer to Christ in the upcoming years, the upcoming days, weeks, months, and years. That we might grow closer to him, know him better. If you've heard me preach very many times, you know that I believe that God has given each one of us an important destiny. A destiny that will fulfill his purposes and plans. And if you're like me, many of you probably have already disqualified yourselves from that destiny because you believe the lies of the enemy that your past somehow has disqualified you. I'm here to remind you again that is a lie from the pit of hell. God is in the business of redeeming and reconciling and restoring and then releasing as he empowers us to go forward into your destiny. And it's important for us because it brings us great blessing and it's important to the kingdom of God because it will advance the kingdom. That's who we are. That's what God has for us. So looking forward to a new year, a new time frame, a new start, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But as the title says, you know what? The unknown is before us. We've not gone this way before. We might have plans in the natural. We might have laid out all these things as best we can in the natural, in our own mind, in our own abilities, in our own circumstances. And I hope if they're godly, good luck. But only God knows the plans and purposes he has. I know we all have a promised land, so to speak, that God has for us as as believers, as new believers and as old believers. He has a promised land. Ultimately, we will enter it into the kingdom of God when we get to heaven with him. But we have a promised land that we're living in as believers here on earth. It's a new land. But we don't know what it's going to bring. We don't know what it's going to look like in 2019. We may have hopes and dreams, but we really don't know for sure. You know, there was a time that I think most of us are familiar with when God had promised his people Israel a promised land. They had been captive in Egypt for about 400 years as slaves in a country, the country of Egypt. 
And most of us are aware of the, the story of Moses and all the plagues and all of these things and even the parting of the Red Sea when they were backed up against the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was coming and were going to destroy them. God opened up the Red Sea. They passed through on dry land, closed it up on them and destroyed their whole army. We know all these things, I believe. And then they got to a place where Moses sent 12 spies into the land, the promised land. I mean, it's like they were on the border. They were on the southern border of entering into the promised land. It's like, all we got to do is go there, and we're in. But the 12 spies, when they came back, they went in and they, they spied for 40 days, and that number 40 is significant, especially in this story. For 40 days, they spied out the land, and it was a land filled with milk and honey, fruit. It was an amazing land, but there was also a whole bunch of ites there. The Amalekites, the Canaanites, the, all the Hedonites. That's my group. The <laughs> that one might not be listed. But it was filled with the enemy. And if you know the story, you know that when the 12 came back, 10 of them said, oh my gosh, the enemy in the land is huge. They're like giants in the land. They're going to kill us and destroy us. What in the world are we thinking? We can't go there. But there were two. One was a man named Caleb, a young man named Caleb, and another one was a young man named Joshua. And these two came back with a positive report because they were believing the word of God. They saw the bounty of the land. They saw the produce that was being produced there. They saw all of the potential of what God had promised them, just like we have promises from God. They saw the promises, and they believed in their God, and he believed, they believed that he would do what they, he said he would do, and the enemy would be overcome. Well, the people got together and heard these reports and said, no way. They believed the report of the ten. They believed the lies of the enemy. In other words, they truly rebelled against God. Joseph or Joshua and Caleb were the only two that said, hey, we can do this thing. And God got upset. I mean, like, Really upset. He told Moses, he says, I'm going to kill them all. And I'm going to start over with you. And your offspring will become my people. We're going to start fresh. And Moses interceded for all the people of Israel. He said, God, you can't do that. What would the Egyptians say? God, you, you set us free. What would they say? What, what kind of God would you be? And God decided to pardon the people of Israel who were rebelling against him. But even in the pardon of them, he said this, because there is always consequences to sin and rebellion. He said, I'm going to continue to take you to the promised land. But for every day that the spies were spying out the land, you're going to walk around in the desert for a year. Forty days they spied out the land. Forty days you're going to walk around in the desert. And if that wasn't bad enough, remember, they're just right there. They can see it. He says, not only that, every man over 20 years old is going to die in the desert. You're all going to die in the desert, and you are not going to see or experience your destiny in the promised land. Only the next generation will get to move into the promised land. And you can imagine the impact it had on the people. 
but they decided they best follow God. Joshua was appointed the new leader because not even Moses got to go into the promised land. He got to climb a mountain and look and see, but he didn't get to go in because he had rebelled against God at one time when water came from a rock and he did it in a way that he wasn't instructed by God to do. And Joshua is going to become the leader. And we're going to pick up this story in Joshua chapter 3 and look at this situation where the people are about to enter the land. We'll see where they're camped. It's only a few miles from the Jordan River. And on the other side of the Jordan River is the village of Jericho, and that's the doorway into the promised land for them. And from the place that they're camped to the Jordan River is a relatively easy trip, just of a couple, three miles, not very far. They're almost there. So they're in a place right now where they're ready to go and enter into the promised land. They've been camped at a place called Shittim. And this is a place, that word Shittim, and that's how it's actually pronounced for all of you that are reading the word. Shittim. It means acacia grove. They're camped at a place surrounded with acacia trees, the grove of acacia trees. And they're waiting. And they're finally excited. They're finally going to go in. And before they were going to go in, Joshua did what Moses did, only he did it this time with only two spies. He said, I want to send you two spies in. I want you to ford across this Jordan River. And we'll talk about the challenge that was. And he says, I want you to go spy out the land, but in particular, I want you to check out Jericho. He has 40,000 armed men at his disposal once they cross the river. But he says, I want you to go check it out. If you're familiar with the story, you know they ran into a harlot prostitute named Rahab. And Rahab helped them escape. She she hid them, and through this process, uh, she told them that the whole countryside has heard what God has done. Israel should know all that God has done, but the whole countryside has heard what God has done, and they're in fear and trembling. And the king of Jericho wants to find these two spies and destroy them, kill them. She hid them, and through negotiating with them, she hung out a scarlet rope out of the window of her house, which would have been built on the wall of the city. And they were agreeing that they would not destroy her. And that's the point I want to pick up the story. And Joshua, I'm going to finish read the last two verses or three verses of chapter 2. And then we're going to really look at the story in chapter 3. And I want to encourage you to try to look at this in terms of what kind of application can I make to me and my life or to even us as a church body. Because we all have a promised land for us. We're actually living in it now as believers. In verse 22, it starts, when they left, meaning the two spies, after they'd hidden and escaped and they were heading back, when they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days hiding until their pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back and they went down out of the hills. They forded the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told them everything that had happened to them. 
And they said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. And really, I would, if I was writing the Bible, <laughs> I would say they're melting in fear because of our God. But it was because of us, God's people. And there's going to be a verse I'm going to look at in a little while in Joshua 3, verse 15. But it's important, I think, to at least get a picture of it right now. The Jordan River. You can't look at the Jordan River the way it is now. If you go online and check out the Jordan River, they have built a series of dams along the Jordan River. It's a very steep decline, if you would, into the Dead Sea. And as it gets closer to the Dead Sea, it gets very deep and steep, and it's almost like the sides are terraced. And normally... Normally, even at the Bible times, the river would maybe be 100 feet wide at most, maybe three, four, five feet deep. But during harvest time was the time of flooding. And verse 15 says, And the river was flooded continually through the whole time of harvest. And if you know the geography, there are many little wadis or rivers or tributaries that come down in. And during this time of harvest, historically in the time of the Bible, this river, the Jordan River, flooded. Big time. Instead of maybe being 100 feet wide and 3 feet deep, it would become up to a mile wide and 3 to 12 feet deep. And the currents could be up to 40 miles per hour currents in the water as all these wadis and tributaries flowed into it and it was rushing down to the Dead Sea. And this is the time that God chose to have his people cross the Jordan River. He must have had a plan because it makes no sense. Two men maybe could have forded that river and swam across it somehow like Joshua and Caleb had to have. But to take a million people or more across this river was an impossibility. And some historians write about this in this way. They say, it wasn't so much the water and the flooding, but it was all the brush and shrubs tangled along the shores of the river. It was like walking into a jungle to try to even get to the river. And this is what they were facing, and this is where they're at. The barrier to the promise In Joshua verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they've camped before crossing over. Here they are, 40 years they've been wandering around the desert. And now they've moved from Shittim, the camp and the acacia trees, right up to the shore, basically, of the Jordan River. And they camped there for three days, looking at this flooded river, looking at this impossible-looking barrier into their promised land, looking at this and wondering how in the world there is no way we're going to cross. There's no way we're going to survive. We get this close, and this is what we're up against. God is testing their faith. The real problem with entering the promised land was a spiritual problem. Forty years earlier, they had chosen to rebel against God. And because of that, they wandered for 40 years, and everybody over 20 had died in the wilderness, and now they're ready to go in. And he takes them up, and it's almost symbolic of the Red Sea experience. There's this barrier there that looks impossible. It looks impassable. There's the promise right there, but how are we going to get there? 
their faith, their confidence, their trust in God. I believe God was doing something spiritually, addressing the spiritual problem, the spiritual need, before he took them into the promised land. For three days, they waited and waited. And I hope, even as individuals or even as a church, a corporate body here, we need to understand we all have a destiny. This church has a destiny. What we've walked in has been great, but I believe what's coming is greater. I believe as the time winds down, dark is getting darker, light is getting lighter, and God's church is going to either follow the way of the world or we're going to rise up. And to rise up, we are going to march into our destiny in greater, greater ways, and we're going to be walking into the promised land for this church in a greater and greater ways. And the same is true of each one of us individually. But I guarantee you there are barriers. Some of you are probably looking at, oh, great, 2019. Hope it's not worse than 2018. Right now you're looking at a barrier, impossible-looking and impassable-looking barriers and saying, no way. No way. It could be sicknesses. It could be disease. It could be broken and busted relationships, damaged relationships. It could be addictions. It could be so many things that you're looking at it and going, there's no way. I just want to encourage you, God has a way for you and I to pass through any barriers that becomes before us as we pursue the destiny that he has for us. And God is going to show Joshua and the Israelite people how to do it. And we can learn from how to do it. There's a secret to going forward. In verse 2, it starts this way. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. I'm reading that from the NIV because it's a nice translation that many of us have. But I really believe we lose a little meaning in this translation. In the New American Standard, it reads a little differently. It says, you know what? Keep your eyes on the ark. Follow the ark. Stand a long ways away from it because then you will see or then you will know which way to go. Meaning... Keep your eyes on the ark, and you will know which way to go. The ark. What's so significant about this ark? If you're familiar with the ark, it's just a little box filled with, covered with gold plating and got a couple angels on it, and there's a lid on top of the box. I believe there's some significance to it, to say the least. One, what was in the box? There were the Ten Commandments were in the box. The Ten Commandments... I think they represent many things, but one of the things I think they represent is God's desire to have relationship with his people. Follow these commandments so that we can have relationship, although we found out it was impossible. And that's why Christ came. But I think it's evidence of God wants a relationship with his people. There was a bowl of what? Manna representing the miraculous provision of God those 40 years they were in the desert. God's provision. And then there was one other thing. A dead stick. <laughs> we know it as the rod of Aaron. The significance to that rod of Aaron, that it was a stick, it was a piece of wood. 
And if you read the story, you'll know that they threw it down into the river. And, and lo and behold, this dead stick budded and bore fruit of almonds as a dead stick. And out of the ten dead sticks that were thrown down, that was the only one. I believe it shows you God has the power to fulfill his will whenever and however he wants. I think those things are significant about following the ark, his relationship and desire for it, his provision and his power. But probably the most significant thing of all is the ark of the covenant was called the mercy seat. The top was called the mercy seat. And the presence of God was supposed to be on top of that mercy seat under the cherubims, the angels where the ark there represented the presence of God, we had an ark come that was a living, walking Jesus. He is our ark. He is the one that we need to keep our eyes on and keep our focus on so that we can discover where we're going and where God's leading us because we've never went this way before. Keeping our eyes on Christ no matter what. Jesus is the ark. They stayed 1,000 yards away, or 2,000 cubits, about 1,000 yards. In other words, why? Well, one reason is because the ark was holy. You don't want to mess with the ark. It had to be handled delicately, just as God said it needed to be handled. But he tells the people to stay so far back, and I believe it's because what we see in the next part of the verse is where it says, so that you may see. And you can imagine how many more people can see the ark and see the priest carrying it when they're 1,000 yards back versus everybody cuddled up around the ark where only the people in the front row might see what was going on. I believe for it's a picture of stay back so that you can all see what God is going to do as he leads you into the promised land. Busting through what appears to be this impossible barrier. And then in verse 5, so then Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. That's the first thing he said. Consecrate yourselves. We're going into the promised land. God's given some instructions for the priests, but we're all to, to consecrate ourselves. What that means, set yourself apart. Sanctify yourself. You know, get rid of all the things that are distractions. If there's sin in your life, confess it and receive forgiveness that Christ has for you and I right now. Sanctify yourselves. Set yourselves apart from all the things that are distracting you and are prohibiting you from being able to stay focused on Jesus. Your priorities, make sure they're always in line. Jesus, God, is priority number one. All the other things of life need to fall under that sanctify yourselves. This is what he's telling the people. We're going into the promised land. Get spiritually ready. I think we can, as individuals, learn from that. As a church, learn from that. God has a promised land that we're walking in, but we're just walking in it in part. He has much bigger plans for each one of us and for us as a body. We need to continually be sanctifying, consecrating ourselves, setting ourselves apart, getting a focus on Him. So when the barriers pop up, and man, you know the barriers pop up. So that when the barriers pop up, we don't look at a raging river that's impossible to pass. We look and say, wow, God is going to really get to show off. God's plan has got to be way bigger, way better. And the devil will throw things at you and at us as a church trying to discourage us. 
And as much as anything, he's trying to plant fear in our lives. Because fear and faith do not coexist. And we need to walk this out by faith. Going forward, keeping our eyes on Jesus, consecrating ourselves as we go forward. And then we see in the story where this walk of faith is set out for us. I'm going to start reading in verse 6. And I may read till 17 here, I think. Verse 5 said, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And then verse 6, Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead. God's leading. The Ark is in front. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know I'm with you as I was with Moses. Just a little sidebar. God was going to elevate the esteem of the people towards Joshua. I mean, who would have wanted to follow in Moses' footsteps? Joshua. And it says, Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. Now, I know they're priests, but really? We're looking at this raging river. We're carrying the poles that are holding the ark, and we're supposed to go stand in the river? God want to get rid of his ark and us? Can you imagine the fear that would have the potential to rise up in you as you're standing there as the priest? You're going in first to this raging river, this impossible barrier. And he goes on and he says, And when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. Verse 9, Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. The power in the word of God. There's a barrier There's a potential for fear to steal our faith. But listen to the Word of God. We have the Word of God given to us in the Bible, filled with the promises of the Bible that are as true and sure as anything, more true and sure than anything that exists. You're facing barriers. It's time to make sure that the Word of God is in you. There's a scripture that leaves my mind. It's in Joshua, but I can't remember the verse. It says, meditate, no, speak, meditate, and act on the word of God. Speak it. The words we speak have power. I'm not talking about goofy things. I'm talking about speaking the word of God with power. Live it and act upon it to break through these barriers. Verse 10 says, this is how you will know that the living God is among you. How will you know that the living God is among you? What did we just read? The Word of God. And then it goes on and lists a whole bunch of the ites. This is how you know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gigarshites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites, and any other ite that gets in the way. They're already in the land. This is the enemy of God. They're in the land. And everywhere your foot shall tread, I have given it to you, God told Joshua. But he says, wait, God, what about the enemy? Why don't you just sweep them out of the land? 
Put him into the Mediterranean Sea. No, he's going to leave him there. He's going to leave him there. But keep the word of the God, hear the word of the Lord, and by this you will know, because of what the word of God speaks, the enemies will be defeated before you. Guys, gals, this is so true for us. We are facing spiritual enemies everywhere. Everywhere. In our culture, in relationships, there is an attack of the enemy on his church, on his children. And it will not stop till Jesus comes back the next time and we've, the final victory is proved as we are with him. But until then, there's enemies. And some of us face big enemies. And I just listed a few of them a little while ago, but they're, they're big. And as we think about them and our, our fear grows and our faith decreases, they get bigger and bigger and bigger and there are giants in the land. Or we can listen to the word of God, hear the promises of God, and we can know and understand that nothing raised up against us will prosper, that we can accomplish all things through Christ who gives us strength. The barrier is there, but there is nothing impossible with God. Get the word in us. Hang on to the word. Believe the word. And you'll know that the victory has already been accomplished. The cross is already done. Jesus has already died, paid the price. He's been buried in a grave, but he's been raised from the dead, and he's ascended to the Father. And the victory is ours. We win. He already won. But there will be enemies in the land. Verse 11 reminds us again, see the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. He's reminding them again, keep your eyes on the ark. You and I keep our eyes on Jesus. Verse 13 says, as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord of all the earth Set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. When did the water stop flowing? Not until they stepped in to the water. Once they demonstrated their faith, acted on their faith, acted on their trust and confidence in God, they stepped into the water and the water stopped. There's a lesson for us there. Our faith requires us to take action. Not in our own strength, but by knowing what God wants us to do. He spoke to them, told them what to do. And we might think, gee, that'd be nice if God spoke to us. He speaks to us every day. He speaks to us to his word, through his word as often as you'll read it. As much of it's in your head, he will speak to you through that. He will speak to you by the Holy Spirit, God that lives and dwells in you who knows the truth, he still speaks. We can still hear where to go, what to do, when to do it. They had to step into the water before the water stopped. Then we come to verse 14 and 15. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. I mentioned that verse earlier that picture of what they were walking into, stepping into, trusting the Word of God. Just step in and stand in the water. 
And when they stepped in, the water stopped, and it says it backed up the waters. And not only did it back up the waters, it says they walked across on dry land. Reminds us of the Red Sea with Moses. Only here it's with Joshua. When they acted on their faith, God moved. I'm going to continue reading in verse 15. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho, and the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood firm on Diagon in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completed crossing on Diagon, and they were entered into the Promised Land. I'm not going to go through all of chapter 4, but something very significant I think is important for us to know is in chapter 4, God gave some instruction to Joshua. And he told them to have one man from each tribe, 12 men in other words, go out into the middle of the river and get a rock and bring it across the Jordan into the promised land. And they stacked him up and Joshua made a memorial. And there was a second memorial that they made right in the middle of the river where the priests stood. And 12 rocks stacked up. And in Joshua 4, verses 6 and 7, it says these words. These memorial stones or standing stones are to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be memorial to the people of Israel forever. In Joshua 4.9, in reference to the stones in the middle, it says, Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the, the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. At that time, they were still there. But when the water would be released, that the memorial in the middle would be covered by water, but the memorial on land would still be visible. A memorial, a standing stone to remind you continually of what God's done. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, if it's more than a day or two, there's standing stones in your lives that you need to remember. There are times in your lives, times in the past, where things have happened and you didn't know what to do and God acted. God rescued. God moved. You stepped out by faith, not knowing where he was going to lead you, but you went and all of a sudden God showed you a way. We need those memorial stones. That's why looking back into 2018, no matter how bad it was, is a good thing to do sometimes. Just to remember, like, wow, that was bad. Oh, yeah, God moved. And he will move again. And I think there's some significance in my mind anyway to the 12 stones in the river. Because though they may have been invisible when the floods come, during the dry seasons, during the droughts, they're visible. And you and I all go through dry seasons. We all experience spiritual droughts. It's probably the most important time to be reminded of what God has done. God's faithfulness for each one of us. I want to close with just a couple points about, actually six that I'm not going to elaborate on, don't worry, about the promised land. 
And the first one is what the promised land isn't. Sometimes we hear that word promised land, and even if we don't know what the Bible means and we know Israel had a promised land they could go into, we think, all right, finally, a vacation resort where we can go rest and just enjoy life and have fun. No. Our promised land, until we get to the fulfillment of it in heaven, is not like this. And believe it or not, we're going to have jobs in heaven too. But in this life, it's not a vacation. As a matter of fact, the promised land is a place of battle. Remember all the ites that were in the promised land? God told them, you've got to destroy them all. And when they did it in accordance to his will, they destroyed them. But the problem was they didn't always do it that way. And the reality was they didn't drive them all out of the land. So they were continually tormented by the enemy. We need to drive all the enemies out of our lives. All the sin, all the strongholds, all the lies that we're believing, we need to let the truth of the Word of God set us free from that so that those lying demonic barriers are gone. From our lives. It's a battle. Number three, it's a place of complete trust and faith in God. We can't win the battle alone. You know, I've shared many times what I believe about the stronghold of fear of rejection. I've shared how powerful it was in my own life. <laughs> how powerful it still can be in my own life. It's a battle I can't win on my own. But if I know the Word of God, it says I'm a child of God. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If I stand in the Word... He is faithful to tear down that barrier, to allow you to walk further into your destiny. Take a chance by faith, knowing it's where he wants you to go. Number four, the promised land is where the problems get bigger. So do the blessings. I mean, as bad as the Arizona, or the, the Arizona sorry about that, Arizona, as bad as the desert was for 40 years, they didn't have to fight many battles. Now they're going to the promised land and you're going to fight all the enemies. It's a place where problems get bigger, but so do the blessings. So do the blessings. Number five, the promised land is a place where spiritual preparation becomes before the victory through Christ. We need to prepare ourselves. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself, sanctify yourself, set yourself apart, get your focus, keep your eyes on Jesus. We need to do the same thing. We keep our eyes on him. We'll know when to do whatever it is he wants us to do. We'll know how to do it. Israel learned more than once when they decided to do it their own way. It didn't work very well. But they came back and they repented and they listened to the Lord and did it his way and victory came. There's a spiritual aspect to our battles. And number six, the promised land is a place where we need to continually remember the standing stones in our life. Write them down. Let them be markers in our life of what God has done. Remind ourselves when the next barrier approaches, the next raging Jordan River in our life approaches, remind yourselves of what God has done. And our faith arises in us. And we can walk through those barriers as God leads. My prayer for myself, my family, my, this church, and a hope for each one of you, and it's the same type of prayer, is that as we move on into 2019 and beyond, we are walking further and further into the destiny that God has for us.
that it's a walk of faith, trusting in him, and remembering always, we will win. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this story, the example of Joshua and your country, your people Israel. Lord, I pray you would help each one of us by your Holy Spirit to make some sort of application to our own lives. God, that we would truly understand and believe that the Word of God is powerful. That we would be drawn to the Word by your Holy Spirit, that we would consume your Word, that we would get your Word in us, that our faith would be built up. Father, we pray that you would give us the grace to walk out in obedience and steps of faith. God, we pray these things for your glory and for your honor and that the kingdom would be advanced. And we pray these things also knowing, Lord, that the blessings will abound in each one of our lives. I pray for each one here that's facing one of those Jordan River type barriers right now. Lord, you know what's going on in the lives of your people. I know there's many here who are facing impossible looking barriers. But Lord, I would stand on the promise with each one of them that all things are possible through Christ who gives us strength. I pray that we can go forward knowing that truth and many others. And I pray now, Lord, as we go our separate directions, you would go before us, watch over us, protect us. God, I pray you would give us opportunities to share the love of Jesus everywhere we go and that you would use that to draw people to yourself. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.